Feeling better? Looking better. Making life better. It's Life Tips. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show, everyone. Byron White here with Dr. Lori Ann Levin. Dr. Lori, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so your book, Life in Life, now that should fit with Life Tips, I'm thinking, as I look that over. Um, but well, this interesting name, Life in Life, tell us about that. Are you finding life miraculously in the journey of life? Well, you know, that's a beautiful way to put it for people who are poetic and maybe linear, but this is rooted in the research that we have that consciousness is non-local, meaning that there is great amount of consciousness that doesn't have necessarily a corporal form. And I know that that means that there are people who have near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences or reincarnation memory or little children that have see grandma and grandpa that have deceased in the room that we have a lot of consciousness that guides us loves us and orchestrates for us while we're living this life and the idea is to connect to that connect to your life in your life Hmm. now we can't as you were talking, I was just thinking about you and your background, and I'd like for you to explain how what you just said to us fits with your incredible background of being a talent agent for Madonna, Michael Jackson, Michael Keaton. I just can't imagine the parallel uh, of, of, of what you described and being in tune uh, with, with all of that. Can you explain how your background fit with what you're doing now? Yeah, I'm going to do a little, it's going to seem like a digression, but it's not. I mean, as a child, I knew that I knew things, but I didn't know how. Hmm. And a Playboy interview when I was 16, I got my hands on a Playboy Hmm. to read about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was doing research at the University of Chicago. She gave us our first model on death and dying. You've heard her clinical Mm -hmm. model, anger, Hmm. denial, depression, grief you know, bargaining, so acceptance. She was being excommunicated because she was bedside to cancer patients, and they were calling out to names that were not visible in the room, and she checked with the family who's Harry. Oh, that's her husband who died years before. And, And she, at that time, was considered heretical to the medical community that had kind of cut themselves off, um, in the way that indigenous cultures know that we're, you know, consciousness is eternal. So I had always been deeply intuitive. When I went into show business, which to me is the most beautiful amalgamation of art and spirituality and psychology, uh, truly, not only from what the themes are, but the way that we make it with groups of people coming together and you play, you know, we each play a unique part to the whole. But I used my intuition and signed Madonna 
before she happened off of her Lucky Star song. Hmm. I signed <clears throat> Michael Keaton off of an episode of Tony Randall. Hmm. I signed off of a commercial reel, Hugh Hudson, who became an Academy Award winner that year for Chariots of Fire. I used my intuition and my ability to connect to you know, my highest self to be able to see the, the future. Hmm. That is a quantum leap, I must say. I'm still wrapping my head around that. But when you say you signed, did you discover these artists and and bring them into some of their first initial gigs, if you will? And then what happened after that? And are you still making any residuals, for example, off of Madonna? <laughs> no, I mean, she had not. This was before the Like a Virgin tour. I see. You know, Lucky Star was one of her first hits. Michael Keaton, you know, when you're an episodic TV actor, Mm. it's a grand leap to then star in Night Shift. You know, we saw, I I saw his potential from an embryonic guest star appearances not nearly carrying the weight of a movie, and, and it was almost immediate after I saw him. So I do take great pride in having the ability to spot talent and I believe that it's from my intuitive self. I then went and I you know I I actually taught a course at UCLA called There's No Business Like Show Business because all people who are in the creative arts plus everybody. I would make a grand leap that says everybody operates from their intuition whether they define it as that. Most men will say, oh, I had a gut knowing or I had an animal instinct. Mm. But we're all using our intuition multiple times in multiple ways during one day. Mm. So I don't consider that. For me, I look at it, but I don't think a lot of people look at it. But you're still doing it. Like, how did you get to life tip? Yeah, that's a good question. And we don't have the four hours necessary to explain it. This is all about you. <laughs> um, so you were you were a Hollywood film producer in the 20th, 20th Century Fox and, and Warner Brothers. But then 20 years ago, you left to become a doctor of clinical psychology. That's a fascinating move. Tell us about that. Well, if you think about it, you know, movies and um, it's about the stories of human triumph and mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's neuroscience. All mm-hmm. It's all it's all psychology and it's all art. Mm. No matter what you're doing, even if you're a teller at the bank, I mean, we're all dealing with people every day, and we're all, you know, unless you're cloistered away. And even then, if you're cloistered away, probably your expression deals with your own internal world, which is also psychology. So, whatever we're doing deals with our own, you know, expansion in our own way. I think that the movie producing was that I always wanted to be a movie producer. I went to USC film school and was the only female and the only directing undergraduate that got to be, you know, awarded the big movie that year to be able to get the budget to be able to do a film. And then I, to become an agent, because at that time there weren't a lot of women in the field, and I knew that I needed to be armed with a business sense. And being an agent gave you that business foundation and then I turned out to be extremely good at it but I always wanted to do the filmmaking went into the filmmaking now my mom is dying and you what I did after that Playboy magazine article was read as much as I could to see 
how the other side worked, you know, and I don't think it's one other side. I actually think now and believe now that we are multidimensional beings, that the dream plane is extremely important. Mm. Our, our bleed through from daydreams or just having a thought that comes out of nowhere or a refrain of a song that we can't shake or, a you know, we wake up and we're, we automatically in the shower have this eureka moment. We are multidimensional beings operating all the time so that I got every book I could read, but I didn't have a experience that ignited me into what my next mission would be. But I was bedside to my mother, much like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work, and my mom, who was had brain cancer, was barely alive, you know, almost like rigor mortis had set in coma for days. The only way we knew she was still alive was this thin skin kept pulsing, so you knew the hospice nurses were bedside to her. She hadn't spoken for months. And out of a miracle, which is often happens at bedside to death, she says, home, home, I want to go home. It blew my mind. And I went, wow. you know what? I got to get this work out. <laughs> I, you know, and there had been a lot of research to that point, but I felt it was my mission to allow myself to understand at a deeper level and give that gift to others that if we truly know there is no death, how great that would be to know because then we wouldn't need wars anymore and we wouldn't be anxious and we wouldn't have panic attacks and we wouldn't be competitive because life really isn't just this life. Hmm. Now, when your mom said, home, home, I want to go home, what? how did you interpret that? And couldn't that be interpreted in multiple ways? She hadn't moved for three months. The mm-hmm. idea that her body could actually do that. Plus, there were other miracles along the way. Like, some people are granted the gift, which is why hospice workers love their work. Some people are granted a gift to birth their loved ones to the next realm, and they see many, many miracles. There's a lot of research yes. on the deathbed experience. My and, point being that, well, the question was, do you did you think she wanted to go home to another place or home literally back in her home? Cause I'm, or, or was she already in her home? And your interpretation here is she was ready for the next world. Yes, and the hospice nurse, you know, said she's going to go rapidly because there are many experiences where they're they're greeted. You know, I don't know if you know about the Steve Jobs, but when he was dying, his eyes were open and he, many people are given the gift of a deathbed vision of what they see as a representation of their belief system. So if they believe in heaven, you know, some people get a vision of the Sierras because that's their spiritual home. Or some mm-hmm. people, given the gift of the firmament, all the stars and angels. So Steve Jobs yelled, you know, not yelled, please, you know, he was dying, but exclaimed, wow, 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 and then mm-hmm. closed his eyes. We are, wow. we are often gifted at the time of death the ability to have that other horizon so that we're not 
care were sh- were shepherded through that next portal. Hmm. Now, was this all leading up to your first book, by the way, God, the Universe, and Where I Fit In, in 2009? That deathbed experience with my mother and many people who are given that gift can have a spiritually transformative experience vicariously just by enjoying what the loved one who's passing goes through. So vicariously, I had an awakening I had a spiritually transformative experience, and that inspired that book. I see. Okay. My life. The next book, which yes. is what we're talking about, mm-hmm. that is putting into practical words, in parable, the ability to meditate and access your highest self. Many high-octane, high-performance people who have a hectic life cannot, even though they know the virtues of meditation, can't get there because it's such an arduous task to sit still Mm -hmm. and try to calm their mind. They get flooded with thoughts of what they have to do or where they need to be or where they need to go. So that ability to do a journal and sit with a book is a beautiful way to meditate even though you're not in a cross-legged position holding a mudra for hours. <laughs> what what do you get out of meditation? And do you think that certain people get different things out of meditation? Does everybody get something different out of meditation? That is a beautiful question, Byron. First, what can on a lower level, let me just, you know, on a on a regular earth level, when one tries to still themselves and calm themselves and there's still some unresolved early childhood trauma or some, you know, consternation that they're going through in their life at the moment, you will get flooded or go through enormous amounts of gyrations internally, mentally, emotionally while you're trying to calm yourself. So that unresolved gunk needs to be looked at, which is also what the book provides. On a spiritual level, what do I get out of meditating is that we are vast. You know, when you have the same thought as your partner at exactly the same time, or you're in a different country and you think to call your best friend and you call each other at exactly the same time and they're in New Zealand and you're in L.A., I mean, there is no question that we are communicating on alternate realms all the time. You know, or you'll have a dream. There's synchronicities and unbelievable orchestration done on our behalf. So when you meditate, you open up that part of the brain, the parietal lobe, that allows you to see and invest and get it fed by all of that extraordinary, extrasensory love. Now, I have a a lot of, well, first of all, I've been practicing yoga now since I had back surgery about four or four or five years ago. And to me, yoga is an opportunity to, you know, practice is something as close to meditation as at least I have found so far. 
But what is most refreshing to me is that when I practice meditation with yoga, I don't have a purpose to it, if that makes sense. There isn't something I want from it. Do you think that you that meditation can be something that is purposeful, that you can get something out of? Or do you think that true meditation is leaving behind everything to the point where you have you find freedom and happiness and rejoice at that discovery and then return back to <laughs> to earth as you described it to better handle those problems as a result of, of the energy level? How do you weigh those two difficult challenges? I think they're both part of meditation practice that mm. our lives our lives are cycles of growth, repair, and renew. Growth, repair, and renew. It can be as simple as boss hung up on you and told you you did a lousy job and you have to, you know, chew on that one. Or you're truly in a new place where you want to tackle new horizons in your business field or whatever is going on for you. Meditation can help get you to a high place in your brain where you can better problem solve those as well as let go and be agenda-less, as you said, no purpose, and also explore things that you might not have thought about. So there's three questions that I put in the book that I enjoy asking myself every day. Here they are. One, what is mine to do that I wouldn't know to do? And I'm not talking about grocery store or dry cleaner. I'm talking about at a soul level. What is mine to do? Almost in a way of chipping away and seeing what your true congruent mission is Mm -hmm. on a daily level. Mm -hmm. Second, highest self, from the highest part of you, how can I love myself best? A lot of people leave themselves out of the equation. You know, like your brother will come to you and say, hey, I need 20 grand. You know, and you're digging, you're helping him out of a hole again. And maybe... It's not for your soul, even though you pledged to your parents to help your younger brother, that it's about time he learned to skin his knees and get up and make his own mistakes, and you're not to help him and save him. So what is mine to do at a soul level, you know, that I wouldn't know to ask? Well, how can I love myself best and really know that that's a way for you to love yourself? And those are simple examples that may not even appeal to you and the third one which I think is the biggest is what is mine to know or understand that I wouldn't even know to ask in that meditation of just asking your vast self you're saying I'm ready to expand beyond that which I've ever known I'm ready to pull up the roots of my foundation and say I'm ready to take on whatever is mine to do and empower myself And I know that I won't be given more than I can't handle. And in that act of keeping growing, in that act of keeping growing, we don't grow old. Mm. Wow, that's intense. Now, your comments on growth, repair, renew, by the way, that's what I'm hoping my hair does all the time. But but that's another subject in itself. (laughs) 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 But, But I wanted to ask you, do you think meditation is a tactic? or a strategy for life improvement, let's call it. I think meditation 
is a prayer that you want to be doing at every moment of every hour of every day so that every time you're in a place, you bring your most expansive self and the grace with which you are in existence. You smile at people. You look into people's eyes. You really listen to where their heart is. It's love of yourself and not leaving yourself out of the equation and really taking in other. And if we do that as a prayer every day in everything we do, even the mundane to the more exalted, we have a better world. Peace within for peace without. If every person could do that, we would be sitting with world peace. Hmm. The word empathy is oft, often comes up in, in the world that I play in in my business, marketing and writing and, and marketplaces and software development and all kinds of interesting things. What place does empathy have with meditation in, in, in all of the wonderful exercises, which I have more questions about in a second? But tell me about empathy. What does that mean to you, to the book, and to meditation in general? I um, I just talked about compassion. For me, that quality, and I, I teach in the book how to bilocate. Do you know what that is, Byron, bilocate? Not really. No. Okay. Bilocate is the capacity for you with somebody who's living in front of you, you know, that idea of you and I having uh-huh. empathy for each other right now, uh-huh. or with somebody who's deceased or somebody who's remote, you know, my best friend in New Zealand or wherever they are, mm-hmm. or your child because your child is crying. Bilocate means to stay with yourself. Your consciousness is in your corporal body, but you allow part of your vast consciousness to enter into that other and do a readout so that you are being empathetic but not to the exclusion of you. You're not being a doormat. You're not giving over. You are staying solid within who you are while entering. And that listening, that empathy, that compassion is done on a spiritual level where it's not a mental level. It's not an emotional level. It's all levels. It's mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. That is by location. And when one starts to meditate all the time and flex that part of their being, of going into themselves up to their highest sense of of the divine and then coming into that other person, you reach another quality of communication that is far richer than what you imagine empathy to be. Mm. I, I, I now understand what bilocation is. Thank you very much. Your chapter called Bilocation with Those Living in Other Realms, you talk about that. I just want to read some of your words if I could, if you wouldn't mind. It would probably be fun for you to hear me reading them anyway. (laughs) You'll think back on when you wrote them, perhaps. There are no words to describe loss. Often it is devastating, wrenching, and desperate that no one may try to define it for you. You alone must take sense of it in any way that works for your beliefs, your faith, or your being. It is yours and yours alone. That last sentence, it is yours and yours alone. That's really interesting to me. Could you tell me what, how you define that? To me, loss is, is, is not as inward as my loss in something that I experienced myself, but it's the loss of 
the beauty of the person that you lost and how beautiful they are and how many, so many people will be affected by that beauty. That's how I think about loss. But I think it's more of the bilocation you just described to me. It's it's the loss that I have for that other person. Is that correct? And that's a sacred connection there. Am I getting that right? Could you explain? Well, you know, for those of us who've had spiritually transformative experiences or flatlined or know with conviction that the the loved one doesn't really die, they pass to an, another school. The earth school is a school, and the other realm that they pass over to is a school. We're all constantly trying to learn self-love and empowerment at every school. But when one loses the physical form, that reconciliation, that squaring of what it means to lose that, I talk to my mother and father and multiple beings on the other side on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But I don't have my mother's voice, my mother's touch, my mother's smell, my father's hands that squeeze my cheek and can't get his, you know, that tell me that voice that says I love you in just that way. That loss is to be squared by the person who who's the recipient of it. So I look at that as one of the ways that it's all your own. The other way is that, you know, um, when you study all of the research, this is 40 years of research with thousands of accounts on near-death flatlining and what's come back. Ken Ring has done the foremost research on that, lessons from the light, heading toward omega. What we know from when people pass over, we have a mission. Part of of living a full life is to really truly understand your mission and living congruently with it. So when one experiences a loss of a loved one, oftentimes that loved one is setting them free to not be encumbered by whatever that dynamic was or that mutual agreement was. And now you are free to go and live a more different, congruent life to your mission. Mm. And I, I know that may not be clear unless somebody's really lived it. But, um, you know, my girlfriend founded a company and her husband was dying of brain cancer. And when she no longer had to care for him on a physical daily basis, she was free to give more time to that company that needed to get out there to help the many. So he, in a, in a poetic way, helped her. And I, I think what when people start to get in touch with their vastness, they see that there's always mutuality, that when you're engaged with somebody, whether it's in a negative exchange or a positive exchange, that there's some lesson in it for everyone in each direction. Hmm. I want to take a break, everyone, back in just a minute. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjorge, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. 
visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Do you have cold, hard cash burning a hole in your pocket? Let Cranberry Radio lighten your load. Just hand us that burdensome dinero, and we'll get you set up with your very own radio show. We produce, edit, and amplify the show. All you have to do is show up. It's time for you to make an impact. We're glad to help. Just hand over the cash. Space is limited. So contact us now at sales at cranberry.fm. Money doesn't grow on trees. So you'll probably have a better chance of growing your business with cranberries. What? Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Dr. Lori, it's been so great having you with us today. Byron, thank you so much. I have really enjoyed knowing about your hair, your receding hairline because I'm sending prayers. <laughs> Send some prayers my way if you would. I, I wanted to ask you about the exercises you have throughout the book. The chapters are very, very small, very light, and you have these these wonderful exercises um, throughout the book. Tell us what someone will gain by completing all of these exercises. How will this help them make themselves and the world a better place? Thank you for asking that question. I customize each chapter, which is a workbook. The chapter is written in mostly in parable so that it's open-ended for what each person needs to go through. But you can do this book as a beginner meditator there's customization for you as a beginner. You can do this with a loved one, a partner, a girlfriend, a group book club. It's very intimate, though, and I teach you how to set the rules of the road, much like you're doing group therapy. If you are going to do this book with each other, there's got to be sacred confidentiality because it's almost like doing spiritual psychoanalysis together as a group, group therapy. And then you can also do it as a master, you know, if you're very far along in your practice. And there's something to be gained by reading each of the directions for beginner, master, and partners. Then also, it was designed to do a chapter a week so that after a year, you would be opened up. You know, and enlightenment is a word that means a lot to different people, but my definition of enlightenment is that you become keenly sensitive and aware of how you are operating on many levels all at the same time. There's me who's talking to Byron in a defined mass agreement of time and space, 
And then there's me who's trying to communicate to all of those out there who might need this understanding or enjoy this understanding. Oh, there's so many levels of all of us operating at all the same time that when one goes into looking at life that way, it becomes rich. Hmm. I'm interested in your bonus chapters in the end. There's a bonus exercise for partners that's really kind of interesting. Uh, tell us about those those add-ons, if you will. They're very interesting. Okay, so let's assume that you are in a relationship with somebody because there's a an agreement that you have work to do together. You know that you know that saying uh, a season, a reason, or a lifetime. And people come into our lives for a season, a reason, or a lifetime. But there is something to do together, and that to do is not, you know, as simple as just okay, we agree to buy a puppy together and raise the puppy. It can be as deep as there's huge soul lessons and soul work. And um, I'm reminded of this great parable where two angels are ready to come back down to earth to live out another lifetime. And one angel says to the other, what do you want to do this lifetime? And the angel says, I, I want to learn forgiveness. And the other angel says, wow, if you want to learn forgiveness, I love you so much, I will be the one to hurt you. Hmm. There are agreements that are made between partners that aren't always pretty, but they're deep and they are loving no matter what shape they take. I do a lot of work with people who have early early childhood difficulty, love got wired together with violence, Love got wired together with abuse. Love got wired together with deceit. But you know what? That person became the better for having a parent or an uncle or a sister who did that to them. And this book is for looking at all of our belief systems and kind of turning them on their side to say, you know what? Life is great because when we can make lemonade out of something, we've triumphed. <clears throat> Lovely explanation. I must ask you about your uh, the founding of Moonview Sanctuary, a collaborative treatment and research institute that you founded in 2004. Where did the name Moonview come from? And I can only imagine myself going into your lovely sanctuary and explaining to my my wife, honey, I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna head over to Moonview, <laughs> to Moonview <laughs> Sanctuary, for some help. Whereupon well, she might say, "Are you from Mars?" Or <laughs> the jokes would, of course, continue. No, but... and then she's from Venus. No, you are <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where did the name Moonview come from? It came from a, a, a meditation where it was given to me. But here, our insignia was the Chinese calligraphy for enlightenment is the sun and the moon together. Huh. That the sun shines light on the moon. The moon represents not lunacy, but the darkest parts of our nature, the hidden, uh. what, we're ashamed, what we're ashamed of. Mm -hmm. And then to look at that, through the reflection of the sun and come into the light. 
So Moonview is also the feminine, and I'm a woman. And also I think believe that we're coming into the age of the feminine, not meaning that women will be the example of, but the feminine side of men, the ability to both give and receive. I think most people are really good at giving. We give love, we nurture, we're very good at giving, but that's a controlled place because when Mm -hmm. you're giving, you're the one who knows what's coming next. Mm -hmm. But to receive, to receive love is much harder. To be in the unknown and receive, to be in the receiving mode of self. So the moon is the feminine receiving part and to bring us into balance. That's a wonderful concept right there, and it inspires lots of questions. I'll just ask one. Do you worry that this mobile phone, put your head down, um, remain non-communicative path of life that particularly young kids are, are leading with texting and viewing themselves as creatures of spect- spectacle and how other people are, per- are perceiving them on Facebook and it's just an awful time right now that is anything but in tune with the practice of meditation. Does that concern you? And is that one reason you wrote the book? And do you see that in your practice? You are prescient, dear Byron, <laughs> because I am, I am developing um, something that I can't talk about right now. I'm beta testing it this February, and I am... Um, it speaks to exactly what you're talking about, and I hope just wish me the best and say a little, you know, a little prayer for me because I am trying to get something out that will speak to that. You know, um, I learned that the age, the the I learned that the you there? Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I learned recently that there are more virgins in as juniors and seniors of college than ever before, which I thought was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, And, you know, kids are not interacting with one another. They're shutting down. They're tuning into videos. They're tuning into their phones. They're they're living their very unusual life that's not as communicative as it was before with things like dating and even my son's a senior now at the university of Arizona. And he seems that it's perfectly fine that he hasn't had a serious girlfriend for four years of college. And it's just been turbulent and crazy and fun and wild and filled with, you know, what's the latest uh, flavor of, of interest. (laughs) Um, And I'm glad to hear you working on that. Yeah. But do you agree with that? You know, once again, yeah, go ahead. Can I give you my take on all of this? Because the millennials are incredibly altruistic. They work better in groups than we did. They are the compassion and unity that will help save the world. We had our shot. It's their turn. And they're not being sexually active to me is not a negative. In fact, I mean, I don't judge. Whatever anyone wants to do is what they should be doing. I'm saying that I think as a group, they come in at a very early age to imprint the dark, meaning fear-based, um, dis, dis, um, deficit-based, uh, difficulty, 
blame and shame, they they come in to understand that the bullying, all of that, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying everyone's a part of that, but they come in to understand that pain because what they're going to do in their later lives is ameliorate all of that. And they're going to take us into a new age of real community and unity. But they needed to understand that darkness before the isolation, the the fear to be able to ameliorate it, which means to transmute it. And I love those millennials. They're very entrepreneurial. They're very altruistic. They work better in groups, as I said. So don't look at it as a um, as a uh, epidemic. I think look at it as the dark before they transmute it. Because if you don't live it out yourself, listen, I didn't come to write these books in having been dropped on this earth as an angelic being, I wrote this book because I lived the dark. Both my parents were alcoholics and pill takers. My brother's mentally ill. I lived pain. And when you live pain, you help people and yourself first, primarily. And then you've earned the right to grab people's hands and say, I get where you come, brother and sister. You know, Uh I can help you. These kids come to help well, I can't wait for the transmutation to happen. <laughs> May they grow up quickly and promptly and start solving some of these problems. And it's wonderful that you focus on community with your statement there. You know, that's that's very interesting that you feel like they, they have tremendous strengths there in being united. It's funny, I'm looking out at an intern that's working by herself on the floor here. Uh, it's a college student, uh, a wonderful uh, woman. And I'm saying to myself... Gosh, it would be so much more fun if there were like four interns out there when they were working on a project together. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, no, they 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 work in group really well. They group date. Yep. You know, they didn't they're they're very special. And you know, um and not to get woo-woo, but they their interests are very excited they get very excited by interdimensional multiverse quantum physics they're already searching in ways that we may not have i can't tell you how we're okay we are okay and much like a slingshot where you have to go that far backward for the rock to propel that far forward we i love i love our what they're called is indigo children in some circles, but you can't Google it because not everybody is anchored and grounded in what indigo means. But my the definition that I love is that they are they are very multidimensional beings that came at exactly this time to really catapult the planet forward. Fascinating, really, really interesting, uh, and I can't wait to hear and read about what you what you have uh, what you're working on, and I hope it goes really, really well. Thank you, Byron White. I hope that our paths cross again. You asked really wonderful questions, and I'm glad to know that um, you're out there. Well. We're going to have you back, no matter how your experiment goes in February. <laughs> We'd like to hear about it. So please come back on the show. This has been a wonderful uh, conversation and, and great having you on as a guest. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Byron White. Thank you. 
two really important questions that I want people to to hear the answers for. Who would you like to get a hold of you, and how can they get a hold of you? My website is laurieannlevin.com. My husband's family, for whatever reason, pronounces the word Levin as Levin, but it's laurieannlevin, L-E-V-I-N.com. I would love anybody who wants to and feels ignited and propelled to shoot me a line. I'm going to be speaking in Miami in a few weeks at the Miami Book Fair. I would love for everybody to go on Amazon or my website and get the workbook and keep me posted on your, you know, your progress with the book, and I can help you through some snags if you're having issues. I'm also, all my speaking engagements are on the website, and please shoot me an email. Dr. Lori, once again, pleasure having you on the show today, and best of luck with everything you're doing. Thank you, Byron. Take care. Yes, indeed. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next week. Hope your life's a little smarter, better, and faster, wiser. Thanks to Lori, and life is life. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited 